For all of you dads out there, happy Father's Day. So, so thankful that you're here this morning. What a special way to celebrate Father's Day is a time for us to gather together and to worship the Lord. You know, one of my favorite parts of Father's Day is taking times to remember the silliness of my kids. Uh, God has been so kind to give Christy and I uh, five children, and uh, I love thinking about all the times they would imitate something. And so one of my sons went through this season in which he imitated being a dog. This young man would walk around the house on all fours. He would bark like a dog. He would drink water out of the dog's water bowl. I would throw a tennis ball. He would shag it and bring it back to me. He would shake his rear end like he was wagging his tail, right? Like he was imitating a dog. And so I just think back upon that season and I'm just like, this is life. Like this, this is where we are as, as parents. Uh, but before I, I mimic or make fun of my son for his season of being a dog, there, there's times in which I also uh, will imitate people. Now, now one of my favorite preachers uh, of all time is a guy out of Cleveland, Ohio. His name is Alistair Begg. And if you have never heard Alistair Begg preach, I want to encourage you to go look him up online, not only because he is solid theologically and he can exposit the scriptures with incredible precision, he speaks with the thickest Scottish accent. And sometimes I find myself falling into speaking like Alistair Begg. And my wife will look at me and say, will you please stop? (laughs) I'm like, well, Christy, I'm a Bruce. This is who I am. (laughs) And she's like, you really don't, you need to stop. You really, right? It's just, it's so good how like we, we imitate, everybody at some point imitates someone else. In fact, that's a picture of discipleship is that we look unto Jesus and we imitate him. It's interesting how Jesus in his relationship with the Father, he imitated the Father. He was in perfect step with the Father. In fact, in in John chapter six, I think it's verse 38, Jesus uh, said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You see, there was this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son in which Jesus went on to declare in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. We see as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our intimacy is to be so close with Jesus that we imitate who who he is. Okay, so as a follower of Christ, we not only identify with the person and work of Jesus in that we declare by faith He lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I deserved. He rose again on the third day, defeating death, and so too will I through faith in him. Yes and amen. It's the gospel. That's what we grab hold of as followers of Christ. And yet simultaneously, by the Spirit, we live out, we imitate Christ. We seek to pursue Christ and to be conformed into his image, and we become more and more like him. Well, one of the tasks that God has entrusted to dads is to teach and lead our kids towards Christ. Well, the question is, how? Well, the psalm writer Asaph teaches us how in Psalm 78. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 78. 
As you're turning there, uh, this past week I had the the privilege of being at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in Nashville and was super encouraged by the leadership and direction of where our convention of churches are going. It was a a great time to be with friends and other pastors to encourage one another and to see where we're going. Well, while I was up there, uh, I called uh, Rick Swing, our executive pastor, who was supposed to be preaching today. And uh, he shared with me that his wife, Linda, her mom passed away. And so Linda and Rick are in South Carolina, and tomorrow Rick will be uh, leading the funeral for his mother-in-law. So if you could be praying for Rick and Linda uh, through this season. Um, but also, I'd also pray for me. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be headed to summer camp, and with, I'll be preaching at uh, Shaco Springs uh, with Generate Camp. And so be praying for me and for the students to hear the gospel. Also, Pastor Corey is preaching at a camp this week. And so just pray for us that the gospel would go forth and the Lord would use us as we point people to him. Now, as a faith family, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark together. But with uh, just a few days of sermon prep this week, I thought, I'm going to jump right into a text that's near and dear to my heart. And so, Lord willing, we'll jump back into the gospel of Mark as a faith family next week. We're going to look at Psalm 78 together. Now, Psalm 78 is a song that was written by the chief worship leader under King David, a man named Asaph. According to 1 Chronicles 16, David appointed some Levites to be ministers before the ark of the Lord and to lead out in the praise and worship. Well, Asaph was the chief worship leader under King David. And here he is in Psalm 78. He is emphasizing to the people of Israel through song the importance of teaching the next generation what God has done. In fact, what you see throughout the Old Testament, but in Psalm 78 in particular, are two things, Israel's failure and God's faithfulness. You see it over and over and over again, where God's people have been unfaithful and they fail him, and yet God is faithful. He holds fast to his people, he cares for his people, and he continues to lead and shepherd them. Now, as we notice here in the text, I want you to see in Psalm 78 how Asaph challenges dads in particular to lead and shepherd and teach their children about the Lord. Let's look at this together in Psalm 78, beginning with verse one. The scripture says, my people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see, God has entrusted fathers to be the primary disciple makers of their children. And though God has given the church the task of coming alongside parents in the spiritual formation of their kids, God has entrusted dads to shepherd their kids 
in the Lord. Maybe you did not grow up in a Christian home and you don't know what this practically looks like. Or maybe one day you hope to become a parent and you're thinking, how can I prepare now so that as a parent, I can lead and shepherd my kids towards the Lord? Well, today, as we look at Psalm 78, I want us to see practically how, especially dads, are to raise their kids for multi-generational faithfulness. Well, it begins with number one, abide in Jesus. Kenneth, how do I shepherd my, my, my kids? How do I shepherd my grandkids? Well, it begins by number one, you abide in Jesus. Look at verse one. Asaph says, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. That word for hear, it means to broaden out the ear with the hand. Okay, the call here is to lean in, to draw near, and to receive instruction from the Lord. As a father, you are tasked to lean into Jesus, to hear from him. You see, before you talk about Jesus, you need to spend time with Jesus. Listening to his instruction, bending your ear to the heart of the Savior. You must draw near to hear what words come out of his mouth through his word. The posture is open Bible, open mind, open heart, open ears. Like an athlete who's sitting on the edge of the bench, listening to every word of the coach, ready to go and apply it onto the field or the courts. Like a child who is seated on their grandfather's lap, leaning their head gently upon his chest and listening to every word. This is what the psalm writer Asaph is calling the people of God to, that we lean into and we listen to the word of God, that we posture our hearts so that we receive what God has revealed. We wanna be humble and teachable to receive a word from him, from him. We so abide in Jesus that we learn from him. Is that not what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 11? He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke, and watch this, and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, dads, the invitation from Jesus is to come to him and to learn from him. He is gentle. He is humble. You see, as a father, your leadership begins at the feet of Jesus. If you want to be an effective tool for Jesus, you must spend time with Jesus. If you want to become like Jesus, you must abide in Jesus. Now hear me on this. There are no shortcuts in discipleship. There are no shortcuts. The path is laid out for you. It takes time of sitting at the feet of Jesus, spending time with him to learn from him. We are in the habit of wanting to pull out our phones quickly and take a quick picture. Well, before those days, there used to be this day in which you would take a picture, you'd go into a dark room, and you'd put this, this, uh, this picture you just took in the paper and it would go into this, this type of liquid and it would just sit there in the dark room. It would slowly come up. That's a picture of discipleship. As much as we wish we could pull out our phones and just immediately grow in Christ, you have to go into the dark room. 
It takes time. As much as we want to have a quick meal in a microwave and immediately become like Christ, it's a crock pot. It's slowly growing in the gospel. It's daily abiding in Jesus. Do you want to impact your kids for Jesus? Spend time with Jesus. Open Bible, open heart, eager to obey. You see, you can't teach what you don't know. And if you want to see the Lord mature and grow your children into the image of Christ, it takes time for you as a parent, fathers in particular, to spend that time with the Lord sitting at the feet of the master. So how do I shepherd my kids towards Christ? Number one, it begins by you abiding in Jesus. But second of all, you must teach God's word. Teach God's word. Look at verse two. Asaph says, I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. Did you notice the intentionality of discipleship? There's purpose. It's single-mindedness. There's a determination. Look at verse 2. I will declare, verse 2. I will speak, verse 2. Verse four, we will not hide them. We will tell a future generation. You see, multi-generational faithfulness necessitates fathers intentionally teaching God's word to their children. It takes intentionality, intentionally investing into your kids. See, Asaph is driving home in verses one through eight. You have to teach both the failures of Israel and the faithfulness of God. In fact, when you look at verses nine through 72, that's what he's reciting there. How over and over and over God's people have turned their hearts away from him and yet God remains faithful. And he says, take these truths, talk about what God has done and remind, teach, declare with intentionality all the work that God has done intentionally teach the word of God to your children. This is one of the reasons why I love VBS so much is that it's intentional disciple making. We're telling future generations the praiseworthy deeds of our God. And by God's grace, we have some of the best teachers and leaders who are investing in preschool and kids and students that week after week, they're making impact. They're declaring these wise sayings as Asaph says. They're they're passing on to future generations the praiseworthy deeds of our God. Now, if I can just speak as as a dad, just for a moment, I want you to know that as I see the people who have invested into my kids, my heart soars. As I think about people right here in this room who week after week invest in my kids so that they might know the praiseworthy deeds of our God. This is one way God has been so kind to us as a faith family is one another as we teach and shepherd and encourage one another. It's crazy. My kids will come home and say, did you hear what Pastor Corey said? He said da 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 And I'm like, I've been saying that for years, bro. <laughs> but for some reason, they listen to him. That doesn't negate my task but it just now enhances what I'm already saying. This is God's design for the local church. You as a parent say the same thing over and over and over again, and then they come to church and their life group leader says something and they're like, oh my goodness, mom and dad, did you know? And you're like, yeah, I've been telling you for years, bro. 
But this is what we do as followers of Christ. We're discipling. We're intentionally training our children towards the Lord, which means, dads, part of you investing in your kids is helping them get to church. You see, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. There's a thousand things you can do on a Sunday, but it matters that you're here, which is why I'm so proud of you. I know from the midst of COVID, many of you are still not ready to gather yet, and I completely understand that. But be careful that you don't allow not gathering together to become a habit in your life. It matters that you are here. What I found last year when we went 13 weeks in which we had nobody on campus, it was me just staring at a camera, is that there is something that God does when two or more are gathered in his name. The online experience, I'm so grateful for how it enhances and it helps us take the gospel further. And yet you can't replicate being in the room. There's something that the Holy Spirit does as believers as we get eyeball to eyeball, shoulder to shoulder, and we begin worshiping Jesus together and how he begins to move in our midst, conforming us into the image of Christ, which is why dads, I want to implore you to take the lead on Sunday mornings make it a mission to say we're going to do everything possible to get to church, which means you're going to help lay out clothes and get kids' breakfast laid out. And you're going to do the hard work of getting everybody here. Now hear me, Sunday morning is spiritual warfare. There are so many ways the enemy will try to distract you and keep you from coming. Alarm doesn't go off. Kids start bickering. Breakfast gets spilled. You get halfway here and someone forgets to wear a shoe. Okay, all things happening at my house on the regular. Okay, it is spiritual warfare to get here, which is, by the way, I'm so proud of you for being here. As your pastor, when I see people getting out of cars and coming in, I'm like, I can't imagine what they've just been through to get here, but it matters. And there's a temptation to say, you know what, we're going to mail it in for the next couple of weeks, and all of a sudden becomes a habit. You see, these are things that we are to be intentionally investing in here, making sure that we don't neglect. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. So husbands, take as much stress off of your wife as possible, especially on Sunday mornings. You take the lead and be the chief servant in your home. Get the diaper bag ready. Lay out the clothes the night before. Be the catalyst of encouragement and leadership. But also when it comes to teaching God's word, dads, take the lead. Don't wait for your wife to say something. Now, can I let you in on a secret, dads? Your wife doesn't want to be a nag. She doesn't. She just wants you to lead. So step up and lead. This is the call here. Your wife is longing for you to take the initiative. You see, the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 1.3, must be passed down, not just pastor to congregation, but father to child. Notice who's doing the teaching. Look at verse 3. We have heard and known that our fathers, verse 5, he commanded our Fathers to teach their children. That's masculine, patriarchal language. Fathers are responsible for investing in the next generation. Now, I want to take just a moment. If you're a single mom here, I want you to know I'm so proud of you for just being here. That's huge. But maybe you're having to take on the responsibility of spiritual leadership in your home. Maybe it's because of death or divorce or an unbelieving spouse or a disobedient spouse. 
and you're having to bear the weight of that, I want you to know that what you do matters. It's interesting. In Acts chapter 16, we meet Timothy, a young man whose mom loves Jesus, grandmother loves Jesus, but dad does not. In fact, Paul tells us this, of how Timothy was invested in by his mother and his grandmother. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. This mom and this grandma, uh-oh. Keep going, mic check, here we go. You keep investing in your kids. If you don't have a husband or someone who's coming alongside to take the leadership in the home, I want to encourage you, keep doing this. Well, how did Lois and Eunice do it? They taught him the Bible since he was a baby. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy... You have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, these two women invested their lives into their son and grandson. They taught him the word. Single moms, do not lose heart. You have an important task. And as you teach your children to the Lord, as you regularly bring them to the gathering of God's people, you are investing in them. Little did Lois and Eunice know that one day Paul would come along, take Timothy with him and teach him how to make disciples and how to plant churches and how to pastor a church. That eventually Timothy becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus. They had no idea. They just taught him the scriptures. Even though his dad wasn't investing, they continued to love on this young man. Which by the way, Westwood, you don't need to wait for a commissioning from us to make sure that you're holding umbrellas for single moms. You're helping carry children in diaper bags into the gathering, especially on days that it rains. Come early, grab an umbrella, and you help moms get into the building. I remember uh, several months ago when we were just getting over the pandemic, a mom with five kids, they were all getting out of the car, and she was just wrangling them in. And I thought, there's a hero of the faith right there. No one is going to see what she's doing except the Lord, but the Lord looks upon the effort and he smiles because she is laboring for the good of her family. She's investing in her kids. Single moms, I'm so proud of you. And I'm sorry that the task of discipleship has fallen upon you. But I want you to know you're not alone in this. God has designed the local church to come alongside you as we work together to shepherd and to teach and to train your kids to follow Christ. Well, as for dads, leverage your influence in your child's life. Teach them the gospel. Put your phone down and invest. Pour into them. The days are long, but the years are short. I can remember a couple years ago, I was at Chick-fil-A for breakfast waiting for my discipleship guys to show up. I looked across the restaurant, and there was a a, a father and his daughter. He was in a nice three-piece suit, all ready to go for work that day. She was in a pretty little dress, ready for school that day. And as they're sitting at the table, eating their breakfast, she's sitting there, just hands right here, looking at her dad, and he's sitting there, staring at his phone, working. And as I was watching, I could see her eagerly longing for his engagement. And internally, I'm like, come on, bro, put your phone down. She wants you. Pay attention. And he wasn't getting my thoughts, okay? 
So I took the piece of paper that comes on the tray, I flipped it over, I wrote a note on it. And I said, your daughter wants your attention. She'll be gone before you know it. Put your phone down and talk to her. I folded it up. I walked across. I slid it across the table. and went to go get a refill. And I stood back to watch to see what he would do. He took the note, opened it, read it, wadded it up, and went back to his phone. What about you, dads? You see, those devices in your hands, they're wonderful gifts and tremendous tools, but they can also become an, a hindrance to you discipling the next generation. Look at what Asaph says in verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. But we will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and our wondrous works he has performed. You see, we are to invest. Imagine if this man had taken his God-given influence and leveraged that moment where she is just sitting there eager and ready to hear whatever he has to say. Just his attention would be great. But if he takes it and says, let me tell you about Jesus and how he's worked in my life and how he's worked in the past and times in which I've been faithless, but he is faithful. Let me tell you about how he worked in the life of David and Moses and Abraham and Peter and John. Man, you take that time and you invest and watch what God will do. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The Bible is God's self-revelation of himself in which he goes on record of who he is and how he has worked in the past. And when you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He takes up residence inside of you and he begins to teach you. He illumines the text of scripture to your mind and then he empowers you to teach his truth to a future generation. Dads, it is incumbent upon us to lead and teach and shepherd. You may be thinking, I don't have the gift of teaching. I've never been to seminary. I didn't stay to Holiday Inn Express last night. How do I do this? I have no idea how. For some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I, didn't raise, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I don't know how to teach the word to my kids. How do I do it? Well, I've put in your notes three keys to spiritual leadership. Three keys. Now, here's the thing. These are, these are great. These are helpful. But they can't replace sitting down with another man and asking him those questions. Find someone you want to become like. Ask to buy him breakfast and you pepper him with questions. Ask him, man, how did you lead your family so well? What are mistakes that you made along the way that I don't need to repeat? Nevertheless, let me throw you these three. The first is this. Open the Bible and read to your kids. Open the Bible and read to your kids. You can start in the Gospel of Mark and read a chapter after dinner with your family. Open the book of Proverbs and read a couple of verses at the breakfast table. Now hear me, your family doesn't want a sermon, okay? They don't want to hear you preach. They don't want that. Just, just bring the word. Uh, in the mornings, if I can get more regular with this, I'd, I'd love that. But in the mornings before school, I open a book of Proverbs and I've got a little pen and I make a, a note next to each proverb that we go through one at a time. I read the proverb, they're eating breakfast, half asleep. I'll give a one-sentence commentary, and I pray. It lasts about 30 seconds, but I'm trying to get them thinking about the Lord. I'm trying to bring wisdom into their heart to start the day. The Shema, this, this Jewish phrase that Jews would repeat twice a day, Deuteronomy 6-7, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. 
You see, it's teaching God's word at the kitchen table when you're dropping them off at school, when you're getting ready to go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, you're continually teaching the word of God. You're planting those seeds. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who can awaken and only the Holy Spirit can save, but we wanna bring as much kindling into their hearts as possible. So you're continually investing, bringing the word of God to bear upon their hearts and upon their lives. And you're praying, God, would you take what I'm bringing onto them and would you light a fire? Would you do a work that only you can do? So you open your Bible and you read. Number two, pray out loud with your kids. Let your children hear you talk to the Lord on their behalf. Place your hand upon their shoulder and you call down heaven. Because the time comes when you die and you're long gone, your kids very well may close their eyes and hear your voice and remember you crying out to God on their behalf. Now, wives, if your husband begins praying and he's not comfortable doing it, celebrate it. Affirm him. Don't be little, don't mock, don't be like, good grief, you're finally doing this? Or, man, I could do a lot better than you. No, 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 no. You affirm, celebrate, reward him stepping out in faith and trusting the Lord. But you call down heaven upon your children. Ask the Lord to work in their hearts and in their lives. Thirdly, ask for grace and forgiveness when, not if, when you sin against your kids. Dads, can I let you in on two little secrets? Number one, you sin a lot. And number two, your kids already know. Okay? My kids get a front row seat to see their dad's selfishness. They get to see my pride and arrogance in times in which I'm quick to anger, not gracious or patient, And one of the best things you can do is you model the gospel by being quick to repentance and asking for forgiveness. Here's what I'm learning. A mark of spiritual maturity is how quickly you sin, excuse me, how quickly you repent after you sin. Okay, so you sin and a mark of maturity is you quickly realize, ooh, no, shouldn't have gone that and I'm immediately fixing it. I repent, Lord, that was not like you. And then you go to the person you offended. And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, if I go to my kids and I ask for forgiveness of things I've done, it lowers my influence in their life. Exact opposite. They know that you've messed up. They're waiting for you to take the lead. And you model for them what repentance and forgiveness and grace looks like. In fact, your influence increases in their life when they see you repent and ask for forgiveness. This is how you influence future generations. You're teaching, this is how believers act. We go to one another and say, I was wrong. I sinned against you. Please forgive me. What motivates us to do that? Because that's what we do when we come to Christ. We have all sinned and broken his command. And we come to God and say, God, I am guilty. I'm not shifting blame. I'm not giving responsibility to anybody else. This is on me. And God, I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he's like, get in here. I love you. I forgive you all because of what my son has done for you. You're accepted and forgiven. My children have taught me about forgiveness and how quickly they forgive me. And I'm like, I need to get better at that. 
Because when someone sins against me, I tend to hold on for a little bit. I'll store it away in a file folder. And they're just like, oh, I forgive you, daddy. They give me a hug and we move on. I need to learn because that's exactly how the father works. He doesn't hold us over our heads. He doesn't rub our past in our face. He forgives and he redeems and he says, let's move forward together. This is what we do as followers of Christ. So a third and final thing, how do I raise my kids to follow Christ? Number three, lead your kids to obey Jesus. As fathers tell their children about the Lord and his word, they do so, look at verse seven, so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. God designed husbands and fathers to be leading their families towards obedience to the Lord. And though women are equal in value, you have a different role within the family. And God has given a unique charge to husbands to lead their families. In Genesis 2, the Lord gave Adam the responsibility of working the garden and gave him the command. This is before Eve was ever created. He says, do not eat from the fruit of the, uh, the, fruit of the, knowledge, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Don't eat that. Don't, don't go near that. Stay away. Well, we see in Genesis 3, when you turn the page, there's Eve. She has heard the command from her husband, and the tempter is wooing her and tempting her towards sin. And the text says in Genesis 3 that Eve took the fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her. He is not leading her. He is not protecting her. He's not stepping up as the leader of his family. And here we have sin entering into the world. And who does God hold accountable? Adam. Even though it was Eve who took the fruit first, the Lord comes into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? God is holding Adam, Adam accountable and responsible for the sin and disobedience. You see, then Adam, once he's caught, instead of owning up, he begins blame shifting. He says, this woman you gave me, she's the one who gave it to me. It's not leadership. Instead of taking responsibility and owning, he says, this isn't on me, this is on y'all. Lord, you are the one who put her here and she's the one who did this. Everything was all good and well until all this happened. This is on y'all. But praise God, there's a second Adam who doesn't blame shift. In fact, he takes the blame upon himself. The second Adam was tempted in the wilderness and he was victorious. The second Adam, instead of blaming God, he submitted to the will of God. And instead of being conquered by the serpent, Jesus, the second Adam, crushes the head of the serpent through the cross. So at the cross, the blame that instead of shifting on to someone else, Jesus takes the blame of our sin. He takes your place. Motivated by love, Jesus takes your place and he dies in your place so that you don't have to. So now in him and through him, you are now empowered by the spirit to lead your family to obey Jesus. And it is through your leadership as you humbly depend upon the Lord, your children and your grandchildren, they come to put their hope in God and keep his commands. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? What's the impact point? And it's this. Declare with your life and lips. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says this, Follow me 
as I follow Christ. That's the mantra of us as parents. Follow me as I follow Christ. Before you call your children to follow you, make sure you are following Christ. Make sure you're modeling the humility and the pursuit of Jesus imperfectly, as all of us are. But we're pursuing Jesus and say, guys, come after me because I'm going after him. One of my favorite pictures that I possess is this one up on the screen. When my son was two, he saw me grilling And so he put his sippy cup of milk in the same place as my lemonade. He was imitating me. This is a picture of discipleship, dads. Young kids are watching. They're listening. Let's teach them to follow Christ. Let's pray together. 